Thanks for downloading. On this episode, Leslie Jennings Harper from Arkansas joined us on the podcast to share her breast cancer story. Leslie was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 43 in March of 2019. She shares her journey as a newly diagnosed breast cancer survivor and why she was called to be a part of this podcast so early on in her journey. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here with Leslie. She is a newly diagnosed breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed in March of 2019 with invasive ductal carcinoma, and Leslie was diagnosed at the age of 43. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Leslie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored to share my story. It's been a wonderful journey, and I believe it's very important to share. Thank you, and I believe that too, and I'm so glad that you reached out and offered to share your story. So let's talk a little bit about your story and, uh, you know, share with me how you found your lump or, you know, kind of how all of this came into your diagnosis. Okay. So in June of 2018, I had my very first um, mammogram and I was 42 and it was came back normal. And then of October of 2018, I went into my gynecologist and she did the self breast exam and everything was wonderful and I was excited and no fears. And then I think around January, maybe the end of December, I noticed at the very top of my right breast, um, about 12 o'clock, right on top of your chest, I noticed a probably a little dime or a, a quarter size, movable, not hard, soft um, mass. And I figured, oh, it's, the, it's a fibrosis cyst. And my father's a family physician in our hometown of Marshall, Arkansas. And I called him and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's just a cyst. And then within the end of January... I called my friend. She was a nurse. And I was like, man, I think this cyst is it's getting bigger. She's, and she told me not to. She's like, go, just go see. Just go in, Leslie. Just go see. Yeah. And so I called. And uh, my, my gynecologist was like, hey, I think, I'm, I, think I might have a, a, a mass that you need to check out. And they got me in right away. Um, and so when I went in, she was feeling around and kind of went and gave me a look and I was like, do you think it's cancer? And she was like, nah. And I've been with her for 18 years and I kind of like got that look in her eye and she said, I'm going to send you the breast center. And so then I went to the breast center the next day, which was, um, well, a week later because I went to her like the end of, uh, 1st of February. So were then, you so doing, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but were you doing 
like a breast exam or you just kind of happened to touch that area or you could see it? Um, no, I did not. I, I felt it. Like I always do self exams. Okay. Not knowing that I'm doing self exams, but I've always felt them after my children are breastfed because it reduced risk and which is, I was told not true. And so I just happened to feel it and was like, well, that's weird. And, um, it grew within a month and a half. And when she diagnosed me, it was really, uh, we did a mammogram and they rushed me to the ultrasound and I was up and my arm was up and I was watching the lady cause I, uh, was a scrub tech for years and knew what, what they were doing. And when she went underneath my armpits, I grabbed her arm and I said, oh, my God, do I have breast cancer? And she said, yeah, you do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The radiologist looked me dead in the eye and I went, oh, S-H-I-T. Yeah. Well, and were you, you, you were there by yourself? I was there by myself. Yeah. I thought they were I mean, going to say cyst. And my dad was saying, oh, it's a cyst. Don't be worried about it. Um, because... Our, my mother, she died of, of colon cancer when we were nine. My brother was 12. I was nine. My sister was six. And the oh. twins were one. And so we've always been worried about colon cancer because, right. you know, yeah. um, eight years later, her sister died of colon cancer. Oh. So we're like, we're going to have colon cancer. So we did, you know, I did colonoscopies for two years. And so this just came out of nowhere. Okay. And... I did the BRCA test and I tested negative. I went to my sister and she's been with me through every appointment, through everything. We're um, 22 months apart. So, um, so did your mom have the BRCA testing? Um, this was in 1985. Oh, so it was in 85. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was in 85. Say, mm, I was going, something in my head was thinking eight years, but you said eight years between your mom and your sister. Okay. But my, yeah, but my sister, she did the bracket test on the colon on the colon cancer, and she came back negative. Okay. And I was going to do it probably back in 2010 before children, and I backed out. But I mean, it still came back negative. Right. So, you know, my daughter, she won't be inherited, and my sister, she was going to go and have a double mastectomy right then and there because our children are. Our boys are three months apart, and our girls are two days apart, oh, ironically. Wow. Wow. So um, we were just like, we, we can't, I can't have my children grow up without a mother. Right. Like I did. Right. And because it was very emotional. and I'm sure. So, I mean, this really kind of came out of left field, like you said. Like yeah. You were just so concerned about potentially having colon cancer, and you were being proactive. You were going yes. and doing the screening and doing all of that stuff. And so breast cancer really wasn't in your mind as far as, you know, something that you should be screened for as well. Correct. And I was like, I breastfed. And she was like, that doesn't prevent it. Like, this was just a gene mutation that that, that happened to you. Because I started blaming myself. I was like, postpartum depression. Um, I had gained weight. 
Um, and I was trying to lose my baby weight because I had a C-section with my second. And the first, I had normal and bounced back. And with the C-section with my daughter, it took me in a dark place. So I kept thinking, it's my fault, it's my fault. And it took me probably till now out of my zombie stage since everything's kind of over. And um, I was like, it's not my fault. And so I just felt like I have to tell my story and let people know that it happens and you just have to hit it. She said, you're going to be hit like a freight train. And she did not lie. I feel like from March 9th to yesterday when he told me, my breast surgeon was like, your chemo worked. Good. And my treatment plan. Mm -hmm. So So I knew. um, Go ahead. I'm um, sorry. That's okay. No worries. No worries. (laughs) Um, so I'm thinking about you being in the office. I mean, at this point you're, you're doing the screening. And so most of us do go to that screening by ourselves. You know, we don't necessarily expect that. Typically what happens is they say, you know, your doctor will call you in a couple of days and let you know the results. But here you are in this office, the radiologist just very flat out says to you that you have breast cancer. I I mean, I just can't even imagine what that experience must have been like. So, I mean, yeah. And I, yeah. And I called my sister and I was like, I have breast cancer. And she's like, no, you don't. And then I was like, I'm not kidding. I have to go back tomorrow and do a biopsy. And I was like, that radiologist, she just told me blunt and it took me a minute to process and, um, come to find out the radiologist is a good friend of my sister's. And then she's also, uh, from, um, a town up Harrison. So when I took Leah back for the biopsy, I was like a HIPAA. I don't care. She's with me. Dr. Lott. Um, by the way, thank you for, for, you know, grabbing and telling me. And she's like, well, I just, that's, I'm just straightforward. And I was like, well, I am too, but I was kind of mad, but now I'm not. And then we sat down with her and I said, tell me what you think. You know, our, our dad's, a doctor and I give you permission, just let us have it. And she's like, I've done this a long time. You have, I will, you know, the culture will come back and I'll call you on Saturday or Monday, but I am 99% sure you have invasive ductal carcinoma. And do you want to talk about your treatment plan now? And I said, absolutely. And I was like, like, let's do this. If you, and I was sitting there thinking, going, okay, the reason why I got, I went to, uh, surgical technology and I got a degree. I never used it. I think I used it for uh, two months and I got to see all this. And I remember the surgeon that I picked, we were looking at it and I was, saw cancer. And I was like, can I want to see that the cancer that killed my mom? Like, what does it look like? And I'm thinking it's going to be black and it's going to be ugly. And it's like this white, pearly, beautiful, hard mass that's just laying in your yellow tissue. And I was just, stared at it, not knowing that it would happen to me 14 years later. Right. Yeah. It is kind of deceiving when you, when you look at your films, you're not necessarily expecting it to be white. I would agree with that. Like I hadn't thought about that till you just said it, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it really does. Um, it is kind of surprising that it's not because, you know, I think about cancer and I think about something that is black and dark and, you know, just gross. And yeah, it, and it was just show up like that. Yeah. 
And then I was thinking how something so beautiful can be so deceiving and defective and can really just ruin your life. And so then when I knew I had it, I was like, you know, I'm not going to kick its butt and it's not going to about kicking it. I'm going to heal cancer. Yeah. And that was my motto is I'm going to heal cancer. And so, um, I babysat this family when I was in college and one of their friends was an oncologist and he's been practicing. And now I think about over 25 years and I wanted him and I wanted the breast surgeon that I went with in that surgery and the plastic surgeon that, um, was also, they kind of double teamed. So, um, I definitely knew right then and there, I was like double mastectomy, um, and he was like, okay, we need, we want you to do uh, chemotherapy first. Okay. And I was like, so okay. How, how big was your, um, how big was the tumor? I know that you it talked about it before. It was four being... centimeters. Okay. It was four centimeters. It started in the milk duct. It had spread to the breast tissue. And um, we were just, we had to do the biopsy to see if it had went to the lymph nodes. And okay. they also said, until we take the sentinel nodes out, you know, after your therapy, then, um, we'll know for sure if it had spread. So I went and did the PET scan. I mean, everything went, I mean, I was diagnosed March 9th and March 24th was my first chemo treatment. Wow. And so things went fast. He was like, yeah, he was like, you know, we're going to do, um, TCPH. It's going to shrink the term tumor first and then we'll go and they'll go in and remove it. And I was like, well, that's odd. He's like, yeah, we have this new um, technique now. And so he was like, and don't be surprised if it's, you know, shrunk, you know, a lot when you go back. And so I did the therapy and my kids shaved my head and it was, and I kept just thinking like, wow, you know, this is what my mom went through. And when she was crying to Christmas that knowing that she was going to die and I'm sitting here going, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. I'm going to live for my children. And, um, at five months when I went back to my breast surgeon, he got the ultrasound out and he looked and kept looking back at his paper and kept looking at the nurse and kept looking and kept rubbing harder and harder and was like, do you even see the clip? (laughs) And she said, yeah, here's the clip. And he goes, what? It's gone. Oh my gosh. I went, what, I went, what do you mean? And he goes, It's gone. It's not it's not visible. There's your clip right here. Your treatment worked. Wow. And I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. And he goes, Yeah. He's like, This is amazing. A lot of people don't respond that way. There's just like a little bit of like maybe ten percent. And so I was like, Okay, and he's like, But we won't know for sure until we get in there and do the double mastectomy. And so, so you still opted for that double mastectomy, even though the, Oh, absolutely. Okay. 100%. I mean, I, my children, um, were five and six or five and seven. And, um, I even called my gynecologist. and she called me actually, we were that close. She said, can you believe this? And I said, no. And I was like, and she's like, thank God you called me. And I was like, I want a double, I want a laparoscopic hysterectomy and I want you to remove my right. Cause I already had my left. I had a dermoid cyst on my left side of my ovary. So that was removed before kids. So I had kids. So I had kids on, um, one ovary and an egg. 
And she said, that's the best decision. Just make sure, you know, I was like, I don't want cervical cancer. I just want everything removed. So just take it all out. You were yeah. like, no playing so, games. Not playing games. Yeah. So did they do, I want my kids. Did they do both surgeries at the same time or did you have to do two different surgeries for that? They did both surgery. They double teamed. It didn't even take two hours. They went in and uh, the breast surgery removed the right first and uh, two big sentinel nodes. And then while he went to the left, the plastic surgeon came in and did the under the muscle non-textured expanders. And so when he was done on the left side, he came over and cleaned up for him. So it was really amazing because normally they took, you know, they took five hours alone yeah. and then you, you know, so they had a good team. They've been working for a long time and, um, but you, so you did the mastectomy and the reconstruction together, not the hysterectomy. Right. Okay. But come March, 2020, cause I just saw him, my plastic surgeon and he said, we're booked out. And anyway, I like the expanders to be in there for six months. And I also have a huge um, umbilical hernia that's like I poking out and gurgles and stuff. And I was like, can you fix this? And also, uh, my gynecologist, we have planned that I want a laparoscopic hysterectomy. Can you do that? And he said, yes. So, and I can make your nipples an areola. And I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like a little liposuction and a little mini tuck. And I was like, oh, I'm all in. <laughs> so that will happen in March, 2020 that I will okay. go in for that. And I'm getting it all done. All taken care of. Okay. So and then. So I thought that was very interesting that he could do all of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, master of all trades, I suppose. <laughs> yes. And I guess a lot of people complained because when I went to the plastic surgeon, he makes you go to a seminar. And I think this is fairly new. And he talked about recovery and how much protein was important. And he was like, you know, you have to hit 120 grams of protein in your healing. Rock stars hit 160. And I told my sister, I was like, I'm doing 160, girl. And so I got my drains out in four days, two of them. And then the last two where the cancer site was that they did stay for 14 days. But so I am today exactly 28 days post. Well, almost, no, I'm almost four. I'm almost a month out. Cause I did on August 13th. The first day of school was my double mastectomy and I'm driving and yeah. So that really wasn't that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> And I actually had started driving with drains because I was like, I can't stop being a mom. Well, that's you it. Know? So I like had <laughs> double pillows and are you driving? No, I'm not driving. No, of course not. <laughs> Nothing. My husband, no. yeah, my husband works out in West Texas. So he's like really busy out there and he doesn't come home, but like every two months for like, a, you know, six days. So I'm kind of really the married single mom. Yeah. So and you have no, I mean, you have to do it. It is what it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had to say, yeah. And so I was very fortunate that yesterday I saw my uh, breast surgeon and he was like, "You're, it's gone. You're healed. You're cancer free. Oh. 100%. And then he gave me my thing and he was like, I mean, you just did amazing. You responded amazing. You're a really fighter. This, you know, I really haven't said this to more than probably 15% of the patients that I see, and I see a lot of people. And I said, 
And so I was like, that is so awesome. Yeah. So are you, they put the implants in right at that. And happy. At that time. (laughs) Happy is good. Happy is good. Right. The expanders. So expanders. expanders. So you're going to get. Expanders. Yeah. So you'll be getting your, your pump ups, if you will. Yeah. So then and it's for... really neat because he can put saline. Um, he has a port where he mm-hmm. can put the saline. I started out as a B because I was like, I was a B in high school. And he was like, okay, we'll start, you know, you'll wake up as a B, but then we can push saline in as far as you want. And then if you don't like it, I can remove it. So right. it's really neat that he had, that I had that opportunity of, finding my right size because I was like I'm not getting big ones these things try to kill me so <laughs> yeah seriously well and the the whole port thing like the I don't know have you gone in for any of your fills yet no I haven't okay and that will be the say, next time and I'm real okay. excited about it yeah I was gonna say was it's like, it's gonna come and so for me it was really kind of weird like it's magnetic so that's yeah. how they find the needle um and they you know when they put it in it's like you don't really feel it but it's just super bizarre, but you will feel when they pump you up. Um, for me, at least, it was like it's super, super tight and there's a lot of pressure there. So if you struggled to like laugh or sneeze right after your mastectomy, more than likely, you're probably going to have that same experience after you get your pump ups. Um, wow. The plastic surgeon. Yeah. So it's it's really kind of a weird experience. So I you know hope that you'll send me a Facebook message and let me know how it goes for the first time. I will. Yeah. Cause ironically I was like, where is that? Cause I asked the nurse cause it ended up the nurse, his helper was the lady that was one of my scrub tech ladies that taught me. And I said, Oh my gosh, Tia. And she was like, Oh my gosh. And so I just kept like running into fate, like all these people that I knew. And I was like, well, where is the port? And she took that magnetic thing and it drew it to it. And I went, ah. Yeah, it's and so she, bizarre. <laughs> and she was laughing going, I know, isn't that cool? And I was like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So you didn't have to do any um, radiation or anything. They didn't find any need for that. No. And um, I was, I guess I was just the lucky one. And I, I mean, I just keep now, I'm probably people annoying people by saying just I mean just feel and one of my friends was like or a friend that I've met on Facebook she was like my husband found mine and I've like we laughed together because he was like hey what's this and I was like yeah I found mine because I guess a lot of people feel weird feeling of themselves yeah and so I'm sure but at the same time look you know you got to do it I mean just just touch yourself like, yeah, and I thought it was going to be like a small P. I thought, you know, it wasn't going to be this big, huge, movable. And I was like grabbing my sister. I mean, I pretty much grabbed everybody that I saw, a stranger and everybody going, hey, what is this? What do you think? Touch I think it's me. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, touch me. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, that's so cool. It's not hard. It's soft. It's movable. Wow. Mm. And then, you know, it was just when she said that it spread into the breast tissue and tissue. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's totally in the nodes and the PET scan. It said no nodes as well. And so it also relieved mm-hmm. from colonoscopy because it was, um, 
or colon cancer because I'm due for that too. So I just had everything like racing, like, am I going to have a brain tumor? Am I going to have? (laughs) And that's very typical. I mean, it really is like every, you just never know, you know, and for most of us. And they said the worst part is waiting. And it is like you go home and you're looking at your kids and you're like, do I have six months? Do I have 60 years? And I was a late bloomer on having children. And so I was just like, literally told somebody like, I think I'm just now waking up from a bad dream. Like I've been a zombie from March until now. Cause I can breathe and be like, I won. Yeah. I watch Yellowstone and I refer myself. I'm like, I'm Beth Dutton. I won this battle. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you talked about your husband being in Texas for, I mean, you know, long periods of time. And so with two little kiddos, I mean, five and seven, you know, that's, that's pretty young. So where was your support system? Who did you, did your husband come home during that time? Or I know that you had your sister there with you, um, you know, for some of the screening and the biopsy and those kind of things. But so who was, who kind of stepped in as like your primary caregiver? Um, my sister did because I told my husband, what was going to happen because I experienced it. And I knew that it was very hard on my dad when he's had to see our mother that way. So all I could reflect was, I don't want to see my husband see me this way. And so I also wanted um, my kids to understand it because I saw my mother go through it. And so that's why I had them shave my head together. And then my, my son was like, yeah, mom, you look cool. You look like me. And I was like, yeah, buddy. And then my little, well, she was uh, five at the time or four at the time because they had birthdays while I was in chemo. And she said, mommy, you're so beautiful. And I was just like, this was, I knew that it had to be just us to experience it. And they, you know, I gave them the right, you know, the buzzards and they buzzed me and we kind of made it our own little party and my husband did see it and but he wasn't I didn't want to see it I didn't want him to hurt I didn't want him to be scared so I kind of wanted to protect him and wanted to protect my kids but I told my kids everything you know my boob is sick and I'm going to get medicine and I'm going to take them off and then I'm going to get new ones and they're going to be so nice and pretty (laughs) and that's what my six-year-old seven he was like would go up to people and say my mom was going to get her boobs cut off and get new ones isn't that cool and I was like I'm sorry I'm breast cancer yeah right like how do you um let's segue into that one um yeah he's six but I have breast cancer yeah so yeah that's uh yeah and after I shaved my head I just realized the impact of uh people with disabilities Mm because I feel like this becomes a disability in my mind, it became a disability because there were stairs. Oh, absolutely. There were people, there were people hushing their kids, and there, there were the kids that were like, "Why is your hair gone?" And then I would say, "Well, I took this medicine, and it's going to come back as a rainbow, and I might, I might <laughs> be a unicorn." And their mouths were like, "You are so cool," and I was like, "I know," because yeah, I mean. I babysit a lot and I taught gymnastics. I've always been around little kids. And so I kind of knew the way and they, I could see the ones that wanted to say something. And then I always made it comfortable for them. And so now I have a whole new perspective of telling my kids, well, go ask. 
Well, that's Go it. Go ask them why. That's absolutely it. They don't have a hand. Don't ask them. Ask, right. You know, say, I love your wheelchair. It's beautiful. How did you get that special wheelchair? So it's very important uh, for me now to educate my children on not making people feel different. That is wonderful. Because, because and, you felt yeah. it. Because you felt it. Yeah. And it's and hard. And going back. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're a baby chick. And I was like, chick, cheap, cheap, cheap. Good. <laughs> But I also had a very best friend of mine that te- that uh, when my sister worked, she's a um, dentist, a pediatric dentist. So when she couldn't, my best friend of 15 years, my friend Dara, she um, would take my kids and keep them for the weekend and take them to the embassy suite to swim with her kids because our kids are in the same area. And so, um, and my brother, he's here. He's a cop and he babysat one time while I went to a doctor's appointment and he came off of a 12 hour shift and was like, I'm going to be really tired. I'm like, it's fine, dude. It's fine. So I went to pick him up and Eli answered the door and I was like, where's James? And he was like, he's over, he's over here asleep. He's really boring. <laughs> and so James, I was like, I don't care. I'm very thankful that you can help me. Yeah. So, well, and then my like daughter, a good one. A good yeah. Support and I didn't know, and I didn't know I had it because my daughter's uh, daycare, their first school, um, they went into a meal train. And then I had food coming. And then I had gift cards. And then I had all these people that I didn't know that was reaching out that made such a difference. And mm-hmm. then I remember people coming with my mom. And I was just like, you know, you, you, sh- you really find out who your friends are. And then you find out like the mysterious friends that just kind of come in and just offer help and just say, you know, I want to help you. The people that come out of the shadows yeah, that you never may have even expected. And And I kept it a secret and I kept my diagnosis secret until I knew that I was going to live because I didn't want in this small town where my dad practices, he still practices. All I could think about was, I don't want them to bother my dad. I don't want them to ask him questions. I always kept trying to protect people. And so I kept, you know, saying, it's just between us. It's just between us until finally, you know, I didn't have any hair and I knew a lot of people around here, but back home, I knew it would get out. And so I came out with my story on Facebook and Instagram and shared it and reached out to you and, Good. Loved behind the ribbon was just a behind the pink ribbon was just an amazing like catch. And it's so true. Like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, my, my hope is to inspire people. You know, I've, my journey is 12 years behind, you know, my, my initial diagnosis is 12 years behind me at this point. Um, And yours is very fresh and new. And, you know, my hope is that, just being able to hear the stories of people that have survived, you know, 12 years, 22 years, that it just yeah. gives people some hope that, you know, breast cancer is not an automatic death sentence, that yeah. it really is about healing. Like you said, I love that you said that. And, you know, living and making sure that we're continuing on into the future because it's possible. 
Um, right. You know, and so I, and I, really I never thought I'd have it. Never. And then my friend yeah. that her mother had breast cancer and she had one removed. I remember in high school, you know, and she didn't get it. And so I always thought, you know, Oh, I'm not going to get it. And then this just totally took a, my sister. I mean, I always told my sister, I was like, I'm going to be the one that gets cancer. And she was like, you're so a hypochondriac. You've always been. And then she, when we were in our first chemo, she was like, I'm so mad at myself because you always knew and now I feel bad for saying you're not. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I think, I mean, I'm very, I'm religious. I believe in God and he told me to share my story and to, to help. And that's exactly what I'm doing Good and volunteering and yes. giving everything that I have to people. Yes. And we need that. But I we think, need that yeah. voice. We need those people who are involved um, and the people that are taking such a traumatic experience in their own lives and being able to pay it forward to somebody else so that when they mm -hmm. have that experience, that maybe, just maybe, it's not the hardest road to travel. And yeah, and I just want to be like, it can happen to you. It, it can happen. And when people are like, I never in a million years thought this would happen to me you know, the school shootings and all these, these horrible things. And people are sitting back going, gosh, I feel so sorry for them. And then it, it can happen. Absolutely. It can happen. And it's changed me. And I think one of the things when I was being wheeled back, the scariest part was um, being wheeled back in the OR. And I remember saying in a prayer silently saying, you know, God, if, I, if it's my time, it's my time. And I'm ready to come home. Just give I give me a little bit longer with my kids. Yeah. And so I remember waking up going, okay, is this the gates of heaven? And the nurse was like, Miss Harper, are you okay in there? <laughs> wake up, wake up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did it. I did it. Yeah. I did it. Time to sit up and use the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's usually the first thing. I get me out of here. Yeah. Seriously. And I stayed one night and then I was gone. So good for you. Well, I know that you are, you know, I mean, you're, like I said, so early on into your diagnosis and your journey and you have other things that are coming. And so I would offer to you that maybe another point in time when you're out a little bit farther from your diagnosis, that we would have you back on the podcast as a guest again, just to kind of hear, you know, how things went and, you know, if anything Absolutely. changed for you, if any, you know, what, what kind of came of it. Um, because realistically, I think you're probably the, um, earliest diagnosis, like the, you're the youngest, um, in terms of the diagnosis. Um, yes, I've noticed that on like, the, yeah, pods. many of us have been out of, out of the, um, breast cancer world for a period of time. So you are yeah. freshly diagnosed. Um, and so, and I have two small children. I mean, I have yeah. friends that are grandparents and so I was just like, Oh my gosh. Okay. It's time. You can't be depressed. Get over it. Get up. We got, some, we, you know, and I like my, I, I think the darkest point was when my kids wasn't here and I had to be in my remote control recliner, which is the best thing ever that lifts you all the way yes. up. I sat in this house for a week healing and it made it, you go into, you do go into a deep part, yeah. but it will forever change me. I mean, I've forever been changed for oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I would love to come back and I would appreciate tell you that everything. Yes, I would certainly appreciate that. So, for now, I'm going to say 
Thank you so much for being a part of this and being so open with your story. And I look forward to the day where uh, we can have another conversation and you can share a little bit about what has happened from this point forward to that point. I am honored to be here. I am so glad I reached out and I'm so glad that you let me share my story. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.